this episode of 92i Talks, Tom Hanks sits down with Gail King to discuss his first collection of fiction, Uncommon Type, a New York Times bestseller. He reflects candidly on the writing and the real world it reflects. The conversation was recorded on November 1st, 2018, in front of a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. Thank you. Thank you, Gail. Thank you, Tom you, Hanks. Wasn't, wasn't that a great gasp at Ruth Bader Ginsburg's name? Man, what a... <laughs> What a bomb to drop, but everybody's thinking, oh, I wish we had tickets for that night. I, th- I thought that was pretty funny. I'll try to be but, as wise as possible, but I ain't gonna come close to Ruth Bader. Tom Hanks, as you guys know, you know, when, when Sue just said, you know, two-time Oscar, and I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. You are one of the few Oscar-winning people who I know when they say Oscar winner goes, yeah, 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 yeah. You, would, you, you don't care if it's even included in the introduction. No, no, uh, look, I get it, I'm fine. It was just so long ago. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, I, I came in, I got a blue ribbon in the sophomore track beat at Oakland Tech. I don't hear that being, you know. Uh, uh, by the way, I ran the 440, I was the only white guy doing it, and I kicked their ass. <laughs> so, you know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna crow about that. Eventually, I'm not. I don't want to discount it. It was a wonderful thing. But it was a wonderful thing. You know. But you've moved on to other things. But before we get into Tom's book, I want to talk about Pittsburgh for just a second, Tom, because you just wrapped up filming Mr. Rogers. Yes. In Pittsburgh. Well. All right. All right. Don't applaud yet, guys. We don't know if it's going to be I, good. I, I need to be specific about this because the, the movie is not it's, called Mr. Rogers. Well, we call it the Mr. Rogers. I know. Yeah. Uh, and and it, let, let me just give you a little bit of the dilemmas of my life right yeah. now, okay? The movie, the working title is You Are My Friend. Yes. That will go through 16,000 iterations because people at the studio's job is to ask questions like, is that the best name for the movie? <laughs> so who knows what it would actually be called when it comes out? Won't you be my neighbor? That would be yes. great, but the documentary sort of has the same version of it. So it might be called anything from Puppet Town to um, uh, uh, Chill Out. Any, can, anything, yeah. can, any, anything can happen. Tom, you do but no, I'm not done, I Gail. Don't. I have more of an anecdote okay. to talk about. Okay, here. okay, okay. Here's the other dilemma I have. Okay. I, I finished making, shooting a film in Baton Rouge earlier this year that will be coming out next March. It's, it will be called Greyhound. The Mr. Rogers, You Are My Friend movie will be coming out in October. And what we really need to do is change the name of Greyhound to to the movie that is not about Mr. Rogers. (laughs) Because everybody is, you know, I've already seen, received the best reviews of my career for a movie that we just finished about four and a half days. I think it, it, well, it speaks to who you are and to who he was. That's what I think. Well, it speaks to Mr. Rogers, the power of that man, yes. But we've seen pictures of you as Mr. Rogers. We actually ran it on CBS this morning because we thought it was such a great picture. Slow but, news day, <laughs> but we'll take that. But Mr. Rogers was filmed in Pittsburgh because that's where he was Yes, from. it was. Yeah. Yeah, and you all know there's a terrible, terrible, deadly story, tragic story in Pittsburgh. And shortly after you filmed, we had that terrible uh, shooting at the synagogue. And I remember seeing you last week and you said, I actually know that synagogue. Yes. And you tweeted about it, it made national news. You said, again, it says, love thy neighbor, no exceptions. Again, to me, this photo is the spirit of Pittsburgh with a broken heart today for those in Squirrel Hill. So you used to see that synagogue all the time. Well, that wasn't the synagogue. That, that sign was Well, up, this isn't the synagogue. That's a church that's up on Mount Washington. If you know Pittsburgh, you take the incline up, you walk around, and that was a pig. But the Tree of Life synagogue is in Squirrel Hill. Um, we shot at the studios of WQED, yeah. where Mr. Rogers actually shot his, uh, his uh, and we drove past that synagogue um, 16 times in the course of while we were there. We always thought, oh, what a great name for a synagogue. And, um, but the fact that you tweeted about it, I thought touched a lot of people. Well, yeah, I, it, it, what can you do in the face of that? I will tell you this, I will tell you this. Mr. Fred Rod, we keep calling him Mr. Rogers, you know. Uh, Fred, uh, Fred Rogers, people would ask him the, you know, questions like um, the, great, the great imponderables and the ironies of life. And one of the questions he was asked has always been, what do we do in times of great struggle yeah. or great horror? Yeah. And Mr. Rogers said, as only he could, he said, look to the helpers. Hmm. Yes, a horrible thing has happened, but you cannot give up hope 
that if you need a source of hope, mm -hmm. look to the helpers. Mm -hmm. Look to the people who come in immediately mm -hmm. and start passing out food and taking care of things or, or help organize a thing. And that is, uh, in a lot of ways, that's the extraordinary thing about, let's just, let's just narrow down all of Western civilization to the United States of America. Mm -hmm. When that happens, in earthquakes in Los Angeles or, or typhoons somewhere, or in the course of such bloodshed and horror as happened in, in Squirrel Hill, mm -hmm. everybody comes out and helps. And guess what? You, it is possible to... Uh, Love thy neighbor with no yep. exceptions. Yep. I, we can be good at that if we choose to be. We can be, and it is a choice. I think kindness matters, and I think we need it ma more now than ever. But this is not going to be a political discussion. But I am let's, very, let's hear it for I, kindness, everybody. Yes, I am. Kindness. And, it's a choice, and we can do that. Uh, but I, I, don't, I really want to talk about your book, if that's okay. What a segue. I really want to talk about now, this is another one of the great ironies of what's going on, you know. Oh, enough about that killer tornado later. Tom, your second Da Vinci Code movie really is an extraordinary... I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to deal but, with it. But, you know, if he hadn't been in Pittsburgh, I wouldn't have mentioned it. But I am very disturbed. Great about... town, Pittsburgh, man. That's yes. a great town. And that's what he said. I am disturbed by what's going on in the country, but that's why I think we need people like you who do what you do and be the person that you are. And I say this because... On CBS This Morning, we had Dan Brown. You know Dan Brown? I know. I, yes, I... Dan Brown was on this morning, and I told him that I was going to be talking... Dan Brown was on this morning? Yes, oh, he right. was. All right. I'm glad you're watching, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> I've been away from home, and I haven't been able to get to the DVR. Thank, thank like you, the Tom Hanks. I, I go to all your movies. Um, Gail, but... you're on TV seven hours a day. I can't, I can't keep... <laughs> I, I, the day is only 24 hours long. I only have so much room for Gail King. So, so I was asking Dan Brown about you, and I actually love Tom Hanks, and I know he loves me too. So, uh, so I asked Dan Brown about you, and he said that he was very reluctant to turn The Da Vinci Code into a movie until he heard that it was going to be Ron Howard and Tom Hanks. And oh, that's said, nice. Okay. I thought that was very nice. Why Tom, I said, and he said this about you. He's a professional storyteller, he can play the everyman and the hero because he makes you believe that there's good in the world. That's what he said about it. All right, him. all right. And, and Dan Brown said this about you. You're intellectually curious and you are kind. Oh, all right. Yeah, see? What's wrong with that? I thought that was nice too. Dan, you know, have, have you read, you know, the people who have read the, the, all those, uh, I like to call them the Robert Langdon mysteries. And everybody else in the world calls them the Da Vinci Code, uh, yes. no matter what the book is, you know, that, oh, you're making another Da Vinci Code movie? No, but I am making another Robert Langdon mystery. <laughs> um, is that they are chock-a-block with this kind of like fabulous yes. historical intellectual um, uh, 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 treasure hunt kind yep. of stuff. You do get to, a lot of times when I would read his books, you could do it with like Wikipedia open right next to you and any reference to anything about architecture or art or history, you can, you can pull it right up. I will tell you that he, he makes up a bunch of junk to yeah. stick. <laughs> Well, but in a good way, it's awfully fun. He said that he's really big on research and that he read your book and he said he liked your book. But one of the things he said about writing is that whenever you write a book and you write a story, you can't just write it for one person. You have to write it because so many people read it and read it different ways. In this case, you wrote 17 different stories. 17 different stories. Well, yes. Three of them deal with the same character, and four of them are the, uh, a column that a cranky newspaper writer uh, That was one of my out. favorites. But, uh, it, it's uncommon type, some stories, but 17 different stories. What was your thinking behind your process about what you were trying to do with 17 different well, stories? Well, a lot of this is, did, uh, did anybody read the hardback? Just a gay, okay, so somebody, okay, fine, great, thank you, thank you, thank you. That sounded like a golf clap. No, well, why don't you set the tone for, for people? Year, you yeah. know. Why don't you set? What? Yeah, been out for a year. It was on some bestseller list. You know. <laughs> yes, audience, you did hear that they did, they said Tom Hanks was not only an Oscar winner, but he was also a best-selling author. Drop yeah. the microphone. Officially, best-selling yes. author. Said. I like that. I made the East Pacoima Green Sheet top ten of bestsellers. <laughs> And it, um, no, I, I, I'm not going to discount that for a moment. No. Um, the, the, a lot of the, this came about because I was able to get one short story uh, written and seen. My, In the New Yorker. The, Esther Newberg, uh, the, 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 the Wonder Woman of uh, the publishing world, yes. read it and said, eh, 
this is, okay, this is a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. Uh, let me see, I don't know, let me, let me think about what we could do with this thing. And uh, she sent it to, she, whatever it is, she went over and cold cocked somebody at the New Yorker and, uh, <laughs> and uh, they, they ran it, you know, not after no small amount of give and take with the New Yorker. Deborah Treisman over there would say, do you really mean to say this in this paragraph? And I said, oh, all right. But uh, they said, would you, like to, would you like to do a volume of them? And I said, well, how many short stories go into a volume? First of all, I said, is there money in that? Do you guys make money at that? <laughs> I mean, is it a thing? I, you know, do, do collections of short stories, do you want to make those? I mean, uh, and they said, oh, they sell very well sometimes. I said, okay, all right. I, you know, I don't want you guys to go bust. So um, how many do I'll you need? You yeah. They said about 15. And I uh, let me think. Um, and I, I, had a, I, I had nine things that had been at itches that I wanted to scratch creatively. But and they're all different kind of stories, Tom. I mean, did you, because this is something interesting that I thought Dan said this morning. He said, you have to respect the process and have a process. His process is he goes every day, four o'clock in the morning. He works from four o'clock in the morning in the same place, no telephone, no internet, from four to, he said, six or seven hours every single day, no distractions, no disturbances. Did you have a process? When I got involved in an individual story, yes. You did, okay. Once they got there. And uh, you, I, I did have a type of faith in um, the perseverance of, of those details. Um, there was, I knew, look, I, I probably, I'm much more, I don't think any good decision has ever been made after 3.30 in the afternoon, ex <laughs> except, you know, where to go drink later yeah. on the night. That's yeah. about the only true decision you can yeah. make after that. Um, so I did my work early in the morning, but um, there was always, there was, if, if it wasn't an actual story itself that I was trying to crack or trying to get to the next phase, it, it was a, a, an awful lot of pondering. Um, and that is usually in the morning and that the earliest possible until... But I read you'd be in the car or you'd be at a yeah. restaurant or you'd be on the, a set or something. Yeah, I wrote everywhere. That yeah. you wrote everywhere. And how long was this process? How long did it take you? Uh, two and a half years, two and a half two to three half years. years. Yeah, yeah. Was writing always something you wanted to do? Well, yes, it but more importantly, it was something I ended up doing without really knowing that it was writing. What do you mean? Uh, well, um, we had the company Playtone a long yes. time ago. I realized that to be an actor guessing, waiting for yeah. the phone to ring is a recipe for suicide and drug addiction. Um, <laughs> if you're just waiting for the phone to ring and have somebody say, would you like, we'd like to invite you into the storytelling process. Great, I got something to do. So we, I have this kind of like fabulous group of people and we've done a lot of producing yeah. and you know, we've had stuff on HBO and we've done films and we've done documentaries. And we've spent an awful lot of time just leaning in each other's doorway saying, this, this story idea, first of all, is this theme worth examining in the first place? Mm -hmm. um, and it could be something we've read or something we've heard or something we've mm -hmm. thought. Um, and then the, then the question comes in, well, yeah, I think it is, but how would you do it? Well, you do it like this with these story elements, you'd stretch it out. Well, then, but what venue is that? Is it a three-act structure of the film? Yeah. And can it withstand the, the commercial pressures that go along with just making money or getting the budget for that? Or does it require more like 10 hours of storytelling? Yeah. Can, you, can it be four hours? Should it be a documentary? Because no matter, you can't make up something as good as the actual uh, facts and, and the people involved. And throughout that, and over the course of my, my, my career as a day job, mm -hmm. uh, as an actor, there was an awful lot of things that had been in my head that I thought that, well, here's one an example of it. Um, okay. Um, I got a, I'm a horrible surfer. <laughs> I've done, I have, I have a, a better collection of scars from surfing injuries than I have of pleasant memories of surfing. Yeah, but. I'm just not that good but it's but, good to be out in the water. And I'm gonna say about 30 years ago, um, I was surfing in Malibu and I was coming up out of the water and um, I saw a guy in his surf wetsuit sitting in the passenger seat of an expensive sports car with a woman who kind of looked like you, looked like a million bucks. And they were just, they were just in there, they were, they were just in there chatting. Oh, oh keep talking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> They were just in there chatting, and that image of a guy 
Okay, I mean, I just thought, okay, did she come down? Is she on her way to work? Did you just swing and by? What's, what's going on in that car? Oh, wow. What's happening between two people? And that is, that is one of the settings yeah. for one of the short stories. I know. So these little embers have stuck in my head for an awfully long time that never, could never possibly become movies per se. Mm -hmm. But they, were, they ended up being the, the, the stuff of, of uh, the collection. I know, but it, it's such a wide variety. It's about an immigrant coming to New York, which is really timely now. Yeah, that's a biggie. Yeah, I think that's a good one. A woman going through a divorce. Yeah. A time a travel couple, and A couple of divorced women in, yeah. in, in the book, yeah. With time family. travel and romance. So are these things that you're interested in, or you just think that's what makes a good story? Because uh, they're all so different. Well, they... It, it, if I was to say, there's nothing that connects, I don't think there's a theme that connects no, them, other, to, other than this, is that people experience, they're, they're able to get on with the rest of their lives through a discovery, mm -hmm. or through the direct, a discovery about themselves, or through the benevolence of an unexpected force in their lives. Mm -hmm. The, and, and I'm not I'm not big on the antagonist protagonist structure oh. of stories. I don't it, truly in movies that I see or whatever. I I I, I don't care about st stories that are structured in which somebody always says, "Before I kill you, Mr. Bond." Yes. Perhaps you'd like a tour of my installation. Yes. No. I, I don't I don't care about that because uh, you always know okay, the the guy's going to win. You know yes. whoever it is, and it's he's almost going to lose. Yeah. But then he doesn't but lose, then he doesn't. you know, but then You don't he, like that the hero and then there's a challenge. No, because that ends up, that, yeah. that's into just bring, being bricklaying. You just see yeah. what the structure of the story is and they slap some detail on him. But the, this, the, 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 life is not filled with bad guys. Yeah. I'm not saying life does not have bad guys in it. I'm not, you yeah. know, I'm not Pollyanna here. Yeah. But by and large, 90 percent, 90, let's say 90 percent. Yeah. of our lives is just mixed motivations yeah. that we cannot agree with. Yeah. But I, 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 I think the vast majority of human beings on this planet are good and they want a fair deal. Me too. Things oh. go awry yes. when they don't get a fair deal. Me too. That's when things start going, or they're, they're convinced that they don't have a fair deal. Yeah. And uh, I think that's that when I was turning these things in one after another, uh, Peter Gathers, who's the greatest uh, editor on the planet Earth, I'd sent in like four or five of them. And uh, he said, you, your stories are about good people helping people. Uh -huh. And I had to think about that. And I said, well, I don't think they're necessarily there's people that are, they're not set out trying to do good, mm -hmm. but they do wake up in the morning in an attempt to be fair, mm -hmm. to give everybody a, a fair shot. The story about the, um, the immigrant yes. uh, is really based on my father-in-law, uh, Rita's dad. Because Rita's from Greece. Who escaped yeah. Bulgaria um, and has, a, he has, his life story is one of as much horror uh, and evil as you could possibly. He was tortured by communists, mm -hmm. um, and he was in a he was in a number of prison camps where every day um, prisoners were hung for no reason, just mm -hmm. to make examples. And his escape is extraordinary. And it, it I ended up writing it because when uh, our son was born, uh, he was very young, and I was downstairs, and uh, dad um, dad uh, he always got up early. <clears throat> he said, oh, I tell you, uh, no, I like to get up early, you know. Yeah, that coffee is good. <laughs> How's that baby? Oh, look at that baby. <laughs> and I said, uh, what are you going to do today? Dad? Oh, you know me. I'll be good. I'll be good. I'll sweep. I'll sweep up. I'll, I'll, uh, tonight I barbecue the chicken. God bless America, I tell you. It's, a, it's the greatest, greatest country in the world. I tell you that right now. And I said, how did you come to America, Dad? And he told me the story of how he came to America for about an hour and a half. And stayed with me very much. And later on in the day, when my wife was awake, I, she said, what'd you do? I said, the baby was fine. I was talking to your dad all morning long. Holy cow. The way he came to America is incredible. Yeah. And Rita said to me, how did he come to America? Wow. He had never told her. It wasn't. He didn't know he was doing something superhuman. Wow. He was just trying to get on to the, to the end of the day. Such a great he was looking for a fair deal. Yeah. And he found it in America after having to sleep outside in Central Park for the better part of a week. Because yeah. he had nowhere to go and he couldn't speak the language. I didn't know that was based on her dad. I, you said something interesting when you said, 
I believe that 90% of people are good and want to do good. I believe that too, Tom, despite what's going on in the country and going on in, in our political world. But I'm so nervous and so worried. Do you feel you still have hope? You're still optimistic about how we're doing and where we're going and what we're doing? I'm so worried. Uh, I'm a lay student of history. Yeah. And history is long. Mm -hmm. It goes on for a long time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's very slow. And I remember when I first became a cognizant human being, being aware of society. Yeah. And an understanding in, in about the, the dynamics of those who have power and those who do not. When I was that age, we had fist fights at the dinner table over Vietnam. We had... Uh, uh, I grew up in Oakland during the People's Park riots and the Black Panther murders and the Hell's Angels uh, coming to Atomic Age as, a, as, a, as an organization. I grew up in Oakland, California, mm -hmm. which we had the Zodiac Killer and Patty Hearst. Yeah. We were living in absolute, utter 100. We had the Symbionese Liberation Army who killed the superintendent of schools of Oakland, California before they ever kidnapped Patty Hearst and did all the rest of it. <laughs> I grew up in a time that we thought the world was absolutely, America was on the verge of a revolution um, that was only just around the corner. Mm. You know, and that, revolutions don't happen that way. It, it, it goes on, cooler minds don't just prevail. Minds that are dark and, and come to their senses over time because they realize that somehow this isn't going to be worth it. Now, the truth is, there is a manipulation, there's money to be made in fear and um, outrage and xenophobia and, and uh, um, uh, mm -hmm. conspiracy. Yes, yes. It's a great market. You, yeah. make a, you, make a, you make a ton of money. And there's also power that can be gained through the willful spread of a tiny bit of truth with an awful lot of innuendo. That's the, that's the way it works. Yeah. Believe me, as a man who has gone off and had to speak about movies that even I knew was lousy. <laughs> a tiny bit of truth with a bunch of innuendo can give you a pretty good opening at the box office come Friday. Um, I would like to know a movie of yours you thought was lousy. I would like to know what Well, my lips are sealed, bitch. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Like to know, uh, but you know, but the, the, <laughs> the, the, the United States of America yes. is old and it is wise, and we have never stopped becoming a more perfect union. Okay. The the preamble to the Constitution of the United States is open to every conceivable interpretation you want because we all get to define what are the blessings of liberty for ourselves and for our posterity. Okay. We all get to describe what is the promoting the general welfare. So, we the people of the United States. It says we the people, the people of the United States. It doesn't say I the person of the United States. <laughs> yes. And that document is will see us through everything over a long period of time because we constantly revisit it and we constantly uh, uh, correct it, and we constantly search for uh, the making of that more perfect okay. union. So am, does that make me an yes. optimist? Yes, yes. All right. You no, know, I, I hear you Pragmatist. I hear you way. say, Gail, we're going to be wrong? okay. Let's be fair. Okay. Who thinks I'm an idiot for thinking that way? <laughs> Who thinks I'm wrong? Okay, nice, Tom. Yeah, that's really good. But, you know, Tom, you have your own dental plan, so... <laughs> You, you, you can think that. But isn't that something right yes, now? Yes. Uh, honestly, if you, yes. if you can't take your kids to the dentist when they have a horrible abscess, and you can't do it for less than $800 that is going to be your rent for that month, yeah. you're not going to think the world is fair and filled with 90% good people. You're going to think you're getting a raw deal. And you know what? You are. You are. Okay. Okay. All right. Does it sound like Tom Hanks is running? No, no, it does not. You started the question. You started heard, asking the I question. I have heard, and I'm not making it up because I know you know, you've heard yeah, yeah, it too. Yeah, okay, yeah, thanks. I'll tell you where this, I'm gonna you tell you, I'm gonna tell you where this came from. Shut up. You, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you where this came from. You all right, all right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this is, this, is a, this is a Hollywood movie star talking about his life, okay? You're gonna love it. Okay. It's gonna be right up your alley. Okay. When I, when I was, when we were, when we were in Philadelphia, making the motion picture Philadelphia, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
Thank you. Thank you. Yes. On a day off, I had never been to Philadelphia, so what do you do with the family? Well, you go down to Independence Hall. Yes. And you see the Liberty Bell, and you see Independence Hall, and you say, oh, here's the Congress was, and here's yes. the Senate, and the, and, the, and the Supreme Court was upstairs. Yes. We went upstairs. There was nobody there. It was a freezing cold day. We all thought we were going to die. Every, anybody who saw us as tourists there, they would say, tourists don't come out in this weather. Yes. Um, but there we were, and a, a guy who works for the government, a government employee, a park ranger, he had the thing and the whole bit, the smoky bear hat and all that. We're there, and we're upstairs in the, uh, where the, where the uh, Supreme Court was, in yes. Independence I've Hall. I've been there, yes. And he says, and he say, none of, uh, the only, the only th these are all reproductions, the only actual uh, piece of furnishing there is that chair and that candlestick, we think, were here back in the day. All yes. the rest, all the, I said, okay, that's very fascinating. And he said, and I said, so this, uh, what else happened in here? He said, well, on that, on that riser right there, on that spot there, on the day that John Adams was sworn in as the second president of the United States, for the first time in recorded history, leadership of an entire nation passed to a non-relative by means of something other than death or war. And the hair stood up on the back of my neck. Right? I'd, I'd never have been able to forget that concept. One of the things that John Adams, and I, and I talk about this because we produced John Adams for HBO, yeah, yeah, and we, yeah, yeah. we won more Emmys for that than is possible to win Emmys for. No, prod, no production will ever win 12 Emmys again oh. because they changed the category, so you can't. <laughs> it was rigged in our favor. Uh, wow. It was rigged in our favor that year, but it was, it was sublime and it was beautiful. Um, and uh, John, John Adams said, where in the history of humankind have people had a choice, any more choice over their government as they have over their climate? And it was true. This odd this odd, difficult land that we live in, uh -huh. with a myriad of problems that we have witnessed in mega doses within the last, uh, just say, the last three weeks, um, it still remains a promised land where if we choose to form a more perfect union yeah. and do the work required of it, guess what we get out of it? Yeah. A more perfect, more perfect. union. Yeah. So come on, yeah. let's do it. Yeah. And that means even if you want to maintain the status yes. quo, maintain it. But if you want to change it, you got to change it. You can it. change it. Well, oh, man, can we please well, get back to my goofy stories? Okay, I am. I am, I am, I am. I, I'm, I'm going to get to the goofy They're not goofy stories. I'm, I'm going to get back to your book in just a second, because tomorrow, Doris Kearns Goodwin is on. She's written a wow. book, Leadership for Turbulent Times. One of them is Abraham Lincoln. His mom was Nancy Hanks. Yep. Nancy Hanks yep. and Tom Hanks. Uh, uh, the Kentucky Hankses, yes, there is What's a... What's the uh, connection? What is it? Uh, we have there the same last name. No, and, uh, no, Tom, there's a connection. No, there, no, there is, yeah. we are somehow... My, my, my dad described his ancestors as being pig-ignorant Kentuckians, meaning that they, they were illiterate, but they came out of the Kentucky and they... They came to uh, uh, small towns in Northern California. But yes, I, I wrote many uh, a yeah. uh, uh, fifth grade report on Nancy Hanks Lincoln, yeah. yes, yeah. And Dennis Hanks, who was his, there's a famous story of Dennis Hanks was, the cousin was, uh, he was around when uh, Honest Abe, the young rail splitter, uh, was young. And they did this thing where he put ashes on his, on his feet mm -hmm. and Dennis he made footprints on the floor, and then his cousin Dennis held them sideways, and he made footprints going up the wall, and they put footprints on the ceiling, and Dennis was going like that. That's, that's something I wrote about many a time. Well, I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's sort of kind of in your DNA, and you are known, and I know you hate this, but you are known as one of the nicest people in Hollywood, who is, and that's no exaggeration. So I'm wondering, is there anybody, Tom, that just thinks you're a jerk? Is there anybody? Have you ever had an encounter with anybody? Oh, you got to dig just a little deeper, Gail. Nope, 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 nope. All, they're all, they'll all, nope, they'll nope, all nope, come out. Nope. Well, look, I don't suffer fools easily, and I, I don't let anybody take advantage of my That's good nature. And there's some people yes. that try to, and guess what? What? They never take advantage of my good nature again. So there's a way in order people, to communicate. Some people, Tom, um, mistake kindness for weakness. Yes, they do. Yeah. Yes. And I don't think you've ever had some that. guys. Some guys live by the credo: nice guys finish last. No, I, I only asked that story because once you told me a good story about I someone had asked first, for an autograph. Dave, that's where I finished. 
nice guys finish first. And somebody you understand what I'm saying? Yes. If you don't believe me, I'm going to go over there and mess up your red hair. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> All right. You, you, you have I a come great story. Was that a pretty good jerk talking there, right there? Was that not bad? Was that, that okay? All right, Tom Hanks. All right. All right. Because there's a, there's a good story about Tom that I guess you were in a bad mood that day and you just didn't feel like playing. And the guy said, okay, you're not as, never mind, never mind. <laughs> All right, 17 different stories. The thing they do have in common is your love of typewriters. Yes. And that in every story of the 17, a typewriter, it's almost like its own character. They're like Easter eggs that are spread yeah. out through, uh, through all the stories. And story. your love of typewriters comes from where? Because for high school graduation, what I got was a blue Smith Corona. Beautiful. Do you electric, know that? electric Smith Corona? Yes. Manual, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Your parents loved you. Yes. <laughs> Oh, but I thought it was the prettiest thing I'd ever seen. That, it was the prettiest thing. Smith I'd ever Corona. There was a period of time when typewriter companies wanted to come out with typewriters for the whole family. <laughs> Black office typewriter for dad. Uh huh. You know, uh, red for mom in the kitchen typing up her recipes. Pink for sis. Yeah, mine was you know. powder blue. Green. I've never green it. for junior. Yeah. But for you, they they all figure into your all of your stories, but. Yet you didn't write any of the stories on the typewriter. I thought that. I started. I, I wrote a lot of notes on typewriters, and I did rough drafts of paragraphs. And uh, one of the stories, uh, which is called "A Month on Green Street," I yes. typed about the first four. I tried the first four pages of a no of the draft on a typewriter that I bought in Atlanta. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but it, you can't do real work on a typewriter these days. Are perfect for these things. You can write the Great American Shopping List on a typewriter. Yes. And, or a note to the family that goes up on the thing. Everybody can read it. It's great. The per, no one throws away a typewritten thank you note. No, one's, oh. no one throws away a typewritten happy birthday letter or something like that. But one of the people say, why would I have a typewriter right now? And I would say, okay, do this. Get a typewriter. Have it out. The typewriters are everywhere. You can find them. It's no problem. Yes. Have, but you've got to use it. It's like having a piano in your living room. If, it's, if you don't use it, it's just a dead hunk of sculpture. There's nothing you can do. Use it. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I was talking to somebody. So I have a typewriter, but I really don't know what I, what I should do with it, Tom. I said, uh, do you have any kids? He said, yeah, yes. As a matter of fact, we just had two twins. We have uh, two five-and-a-half-week-old twins. I said, okay, oh, wow. get your typewriter out. And I went... Write a letter to both of those little kids at five and a half weeks. Tell them what you're doing. Tell them what you're up to. Tell them what they are like. And take that piece of paper, a handful of paragraphs, and put it in a shoebox and give it to them when they're a little bit older. And when they are 65 years old, they will pull out the actual thing that you wrote, and they will read about you, and they will read about them. And it will mean the world to them. And it will be a one-of-a-kind document, a work of art, unparalleled by anything yes. they could possibly buy. That's why you have a typewriter, the permanence that goes Did into Did you do that? Yes, I have. Did you I, I have, over your kids? Uh, I'm not at the age when they were young, but I write my kids' letters all the time now. Ew. And I say, don't, you don't have to respond to this. Uh -huh. This is not like a business correspondent. Have it, read it, keep it, throw it away. Tell me what you think about it when we see each other. But I want to put down on... Uh, the permanence that you get, I've said this many times, but it's true, the permanence of a truly typewritten anything, a paragraph, letter, yeah. note, yeah. will last as long as, as words chiseled into stone on the, the cathedral of St. John the Divine, provided you don't put it in the sun too long mm -hmm. or burn it, mm -hmm. it will last mm -hmm. a thousand years. Do you like a typewritten note better than a handwritten note? My handwriting looks like either one of two things. <laughs> A chicken died and has walked through its own black blood. blood yeah. uh, it looks like that. Or a psycho killer has written you a letter. It's horrible, and it always has been. So, yes, I... Um, you always I, type. I try, if I want something to have a bona fide impact, yeah. I, I use a typewriter every day. I do, I type something every day. Sometimes. Now, how often do you write them? Isn't it just to your children and your family? Oh, no, I write just... letters all the time. Um, the, the, uh, once again, the Mr. Ron, <laughs> you, you find these things out, um, and oh, this is, a, because this ties in a typewriter, um, Mr. Rogers got up at five o'clock in the morning and would have, um, a glass of hot cranberry juice. Ooh. He never had coffee. This is why Fred, hot cranberry juice. Fred talked very slowly and quietly uh -huh. <laughs> because his body was starved for the stimulation of caffeine. <laughs> yes. 
had absolutely, had absolutely none. Why does he have that funny? But dude, the guy never had a cup of coffee in his life. That's right. um, I know, Tom. I'm thinking about think about this guy's hot cranberry juice. I don't even think I've heard of such a thing. Did you try it? No. Just to get into character? No. no. I haven't had a hot thing, not since they tried to sell Dr. Pepper like that, okay. you know, hot Dr. Pepper. Okay. But um, I went down to his archive that is down in Latrobe, where he, where he was born, and there it is, boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of his letters, the physical letters themselves, mm. typewritten, scribbled on a very distinctive handwriting. Um, and that was another just testament to how magnificent it is to yeah. take the time yeah. to put it down on a physical piece of paper yeah. that will, and he kept everything, and people, I got, when, I, when it was announced that I, I was doing the movie, thing. I got copies of letters. Dear Mr. Hanks, I heard you're doing this. Here's a letter that I got from Fred Rogers in 1977 because I wrote him when I was six yeah. years old. That's a beautiful And it's an extraordinary connection to it. So I, I try to keep up with that. But oh, I like that. it's impossible at times. I like that. Because some people just, will you please sign this volleyball? You know, and that's yeah. all there is. <laughs> do, <laughs> do you get tired of that, Wilson? Yeah. <laughs> will you please sign long the ago, volleyball? Long ago, no, long ago. I like in the, um, the dedication, you dedicated to Rita and all the kids, but you also mentioned Nora. Yeah, Nora Ephron. You're talking about Nora Ephron. The grace stage, yes, idiot, Nora Ephron. <clears throat> it's so beautiful, you say, because of Nora. Did you discuss this book with Nora before? I discussed all my writing before I was a real writer with Nora. The, the first thing I wrote that was more or less in this form came about because Danny Strepek, my makeup man for uh, over 20 years and probably 15 movies, uh, came, <laughs> we, uh, uh, he turned 75 years old the day we shot the last day on the Da Vinci Code in, in England. And he called me a week later after, after we got back. And I said, hey, Danny, what's up? Well, kid, I'm, you're the first person I'm telling this. I'm done. <laughs> Are you gonna, re you're gonna retire? That's right, I'm done. And I don't mean done, I am done done. That's what he said. And he is 75, and, and so I said, uh, can I interview you? I would like to know about his, and he had, he was as grand an artist as anybody would ever be in the motion picture industry, and he had a history that was connected to everything from, uh, he, he, he was a beard applicator for uh, Cecil B. DeMille's The, the, the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. he, he, he did, wow. um, he, did uh, he helped manufacture and apply Lawrence Olivier's nose in Spartacus, and he was one of the most often used makeup men by none other than Elvis Presley. Wow. So he had this, this history. So I interviewed him and I, I put something together and um, I sent it to Nora. I said, Nora, is, is, is this a thing? Is that what you would say? To I would say, is this a thing? Uh -huh. Does it make sense? And she said, yes, yes, it is a thing. You need to do a lot of work on it. And, and, <laughs> You should send it to the New York Times, not for the Sunday styles, but for the Thursday styles. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And so I worked on it a lot, and I sent it to her back a few too many times. But the best thing that she said, you'd get it back, and she, she had the, the, you know, the red, I don't red know. Red marks. Whatever it is, on, on the computer, you know, she yes. had the script or whatever it is called. Yeah. I, don't, I don't use yeah, it. I know but, what um, you mean. Um, and everything was red marked and there would be questions of what are you saying here and invert this, hmm, good point, but expand. But at one point she just sent the whole thing back to me with three words written on it in, in, in capital letters, voice, voice, <laughs> voice, because I was rambling around. But when I got it to the page, she said, okay, send it now. And, it, and they, then they, they printed it in the, in the New York Times. About him? About Danny Streepick, oh, about my I'm, relationship I'm with Google Danny. That. Okay. So, yeah, and it was a lovely piece. Did, uh, did it go in Thursdays? It went in the Thursday in Thursdays style. Thursdays. Okay. <laughs> and I had a great picture of me and Danny, because we, we had huge adventures together as, uh, as making movies. But Nora, Nora. Um, but I like you saying, Nora, is this a thing? Did you get a chance to talk to her about this? Alas, no. No. Um, no. Was she gone by then. I didn't she know. She was gone by. She was gone by then. Last thing, I, I, George Wolf and I worked with her quite a bit before we officially began um, doing Lucky Guy, which ran on yeah, Broadway, Broadway in 2000. Yes. 2003. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. But she also, she also, when we were uh, when we were working on Sleepless in Seattle with Delia, her sister, um, 
I was this incredibly cranky actor, and I was complaining about all these scenes, and we'd have these meetings, and I'd say, yeah, this is a bunch of hop. You ladies don't know nothing about being a dad. Dads do this, and dads do that, and blah, la 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 And um, uh, some of the stuff that I said made it into the movie, and she said, that scene you wrote really worked out well. I said, I didn't write it. I was just complaining. He said, no, you wrote it. You wrote it. Because what you said is what we typed. And I'd never thought of it that way. I'd never been thought of, I'd never been included in the collaboration of the construction process mm -hmm. in a movie before Nora. Now that you've done short stories, before it was published, because uh, Dan Brown told a great story when he said, his first three books did not do well. No, uh, Digital Fortress and a few others. Yes, yeah. did, did not do well, and he said... He was just a guy writing on a typewriter on his, on his, in his back porch on a card table. Uh, yep, that's yeah. what he said. Yeah, that's what he, he said. He said, and you, you can't fall in love. You, and he said, you know, your feelings are hurt and all that stuff. And then you have to realize, but I really like the process. Because you were already so accomplished in the other part of your life, did you feel pressure for this to be good? No, I did you not. Didn't. No, I, had, I felt pressure to like it myself. You know, when you, I get a lot of credit for being in movies that did well, but I am but a cog. Uh, I'm dressed by somebody else. I'm saying words that somebody else said. I'm being told what to do by somebody else. Um, and no, 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 excuse me. Excuse, hey, excuse hey, me. back excuse off, me. back excuse off. Me. Back off. Let me talk, let me speak. I'm not saying I don't contribute in a big way. Okay. An actor does okay. in a huge, huge way. Okay. But the timber, the timing, the, the patina, uh, uh, the tempo of the emotional level of what they do ultimately goes through many other people's hands in order to buttress what I did and manufacture, uh, uh, magnify what an actor does. Mm -hmm. But without those other people, I'm just a guy who did pretty well in dailies that day, all right? So I'm every movie we've ever done. Every, okay, fine. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, like you're the star of the CBS morning show. Um, I'm nuts about that John Dickerson, aren't you? Um, I am too. Yeah, there you go. Um, the, the, but, but it's part of the storytelling process. So when it came around yeah. to this, every movie has ever been a crapshoot. You don't know if it's going to work or not. But all of these had to be, for me, they had to live up to the sort of like the, the, the consciousness that I put it into in the first place. Mm -hmm. A lot of them began just with a line of dialogue or the title yeah. or, the, or the final line in what the, what the, what it, uh, what it, what, of, of the story itself. And it had to earn all those things in order to get there. So I, you know, you can put out a, you know, I don't, if it's going to sell or not, it's not nearly as important as what I think of it when I read it myself and say, you know what, this is, this is where I want it to be, so therefore I am done. No, it's interesting you would say that because uh, Dan said you have to write something that you like. Yeah. And it's okay if other people don't. But I would just think being who you are and doing what you do, that you do also want people to like it. And you do. Well, that's human nature. Yeah, that's it? human nature. You know. But if they didn't, you wouldn't be crushed is what you're saying. See, that would bother <sighs> me. Let me tell you, let me that tell you something. That here's would a, bother me. Here's a show business story. You ready? You want yeah. another show business story? I do. I love show business. The very first review of a good movie, at a movie I was in, in 19, in 19, uh, I was living in a house in the valley and I was just barely getting by. And the, the review for the first movie I was really in mm -hmm. came out and it was in Los Angeles Magazine. And I happened to come back from a very long, exhausting day doing something totally different. And there it was, it had arrived. And I knew that the review for Splash Oh. was in yes. Los Angeles Magazine. Yes. Splash. The kids were in bed. I was there alone. I opened up like a diet root beer or something like that, and the magazine was there. <laughs> I said, all right. I am now going to read the first real review of the motion picture Splash. Movie Reviews, page 179. <laughs> Splash. <clears throat> and I read, righteously so, yes. the most perfect examination of the majesty and mercurial beauty and mystery of Daryl Hannah. <laughs> could, not, could not agree 
It was fantastic. Couldn't agree more. It was fantastic. And it was right. Yeah. And it really captured her in that movie. John Candy. <laughs> oh, man. At last, the brilliance of Second City TV has come off. This man is, is, he is Chaplin by way of Keaton, by way of Jackie Gleason. This is one of the greatest comedic powerhouses in the world. And what he does in this movie will bring a lot of abs, I couldn't agree more. It was exactly, it was exactly right. I'm getting scared, Tom. Eugene Levy. <laughs> The man's a genius, and he did, he was in it, and he did some stuff, and it was, it, I think they used every single frame of what he did. He was absolutely magnificent. I couldn't believe I was in a movie with these three people. Eugene Levy, Ron Howard, budding filmmaker. <laughs> you know him for this, you know him for that, la da 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 fantastic, da 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 Disney Brian Grazer, screenwriter. My name wasn't Here's mentioned in the at review. At all, in Splash. Go through that and nothing can hurt you ever. Oh, wow. Nothing can hurt you ever. That's good. Well, I'm thinking they didn't see Bosom Buddies then. Don't we remember Bosom Buddies? They didn't see you in Bosom Buddies. Okay, here's somebody from the audience. Has anything you learned from making movies translated over to your writing? or anything you learned from your writing translated over to your movies? Uh, absolutely, yes. The, the day, my day job as an actor has always been about where you fit in the construct of a story. And you have to understand what that story is, and you have to know what your place is in it. And you cannot suddenly decide to magnify it yourself. It has to be part of an organized plan. And the, the, the truth is, the script that you begin with, even though it is just merely a blueprint mm -hmm. for something that will be assembled over a long period of time, is a certain type of literature that you can pick up. You, you can read it, you can come across with a scene that shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. Or you can read a piece of dialogue that is not true to the character of the narrative. And when it lands perfectly, it's fantastic. But when it's not, it's a clunker, and you have to, you have to deal with it. So all of the work that I have done, and you get better at reading scripts, you can also start looking at them in completely different ways. And with certain filmmakers like Nora, yeah. or with others, you, get, you say, they ask the question literally, what do you think we should, you think this is a thing? Yeah, and you like, say, well, I think it is if we do this, and you're either incorporated into it or not. So I, I would say that in a, in a weird way, all of the, the hands-on work that I have done with scripts definitely affected me in the course of writing all these things because I think in, in some point there are more, there's a lot of cinematic moments in that. Trying to capture that guy in the rich car with a babe who looks like Gail King. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a cinematic image that you have to turn into, uh, turn I, into almost dialogue. I like the dialogue. military story. The, the, oh, Christmas Eve, 1953. Yes. That, that, came, that came about because the question I always asked in all of the World War II stuff we did um, is, was always, how do you take a 23-year-old kid in 1944 yeah. who has done and seen what he has done how do you take that guy and, and have him setting up a kid's electric train on, on Christmas Eve in 1953, less than 10 years removed from the event? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how human beings, and some people didn't. Yeah. And that story is, is interesting because it started out like solely that. being about the, the dad uh, and ended up instead being, in a lot of ways, about the guy who calls him who was so scarred by the war that he'll never be able to set up a kid's Christmas, uh, it's, it's, uh, kid's uh, electric trader. I really Christmas. like that one, Tom. I like Mike Gavin, I hope, I can't tell with the Sharpie because it ran together, but I like this question, Mike. Thank you for your years of entertainment. Would you rather win an Oscar for Best Actor or a Pulitzer Prize for one of your books? That's a good question. If you really have an answer to that question, aren't you just a big fat dick, you know? <laughs> Honestly, is that, I mean, is that I mean, a bad thing? You know what I mean? <laughs> no, neither one would be bad. Oh, God, you know, yeah. Hey, hey, screw that. Where's my Nobel? I want a Nobel. 
and I want to have it something to do with astrophysics. I don't know what, but that's what I'm shooting for. Oh, God. See, Tom, when I said, have you ever been in jerky, because he's kidding around. Because I remember you told a story once about a guy who came with his little boy to get an autograph, and something happened, and he walked up. Oh, my That's God. Story. That's the oh. story I thought you were going to tell. It didn't just come out of left field. Oh, do you want to hear this story? It's, it's a horrible. good story. It's horrible. It's a good story. Oh, my God. It's the worst thing that could possibly happen. Oh. Just, can I take just a couple of minutes and tell that? I think it, that's why I asked right. the question. Okay, all right, here's the story, here's the story. I'm a divorced dad with kids and I desperately need something to do with them on the weekends that I'm in charge of them, right? Who, who, men and women, who, who's in that position? An awful lot. Um, and I had grown up liking hockey and so my kids were young and I said, we're gonna start going to the hockey games. And we started going, and my kids fell in love with going to the Kings yep. hockey games before they got Gretzky, thank you very much. Yes. So we would go to the hockey games. And when I was there with the kids, we just had regular seats, we had season seats, <laughs> and we'd had a little thing, and it was really nice. And the truth is, I think it's a bit of a sin to sign autographs when you're with your kids. So there'd be a constant kind of like group of, you know, they'd just keep, every time the, yeah. there was, the time was off on the ice, someone would come by. And so on one night, probably in 47 different uh, occurrences, I said, I'm sorry, I really, I'm with my kids and I, I, I thank you very much, nice to meet you, but I, I, I'm spending time on Mike. I hope you understand. And everybody understood, all right? Yes. Except one kid who was about 12 or 13. He came up and said, can I have your autograph? And I said, I'm, look, I'm sorry, I'm with my kids right now. Give me, pop me some props there, but I'm with my kids. And I, I, I really can't, because if I do it for you, I got to do it for everybody that I can enjoy the thing. And he said, no, I want your autograph. And I said, <laughs> I said, I'm sorry, I can't because I'm with my thing. He says, can't I have your autograph? And I said, no, I'm sorry, because I'm with my, and I, look, I just, the game started. No, maybe, maybe late, I, I just wanted to get rid of the guy. Yes. All right, okay. Right? Yep. All okay, right? Yep. Yep. Well, the guy's, the guy's father came up to me <laughs> and said, you're a goddamn son of a bitch, Hanks. You're a goddamn son of a bitch. Screw you. Screw you and everything you stand for. Nice going. Nice going with my son. Good job. Screw you, Hanks. And he went and sat down. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Wait, there's more. Wait. The kid was mentally handicapped which I did not notice, which I did not recognize. I was just dealing with a pushy 13-year-old, and I didn't realize he, and yeah. of course this father was outraged yeah. beyond, beyond compare. So, you see how hard it is being me. <laughs> so, you, you, you got, you know, you gotta ride those moments every now and again, so. But that's such a rare, 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 rare thing for you. Uh, I, well, I by the way, I learned a lesson there. I started paying a lot of attention oh, to, to well, yes, general, of course, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, you got it because you want to do the right thing, yeah. you know. But I mean, I, but you look at your life, though. You talk about by the age of 10, you had moved several times. You know, your parents had divorced when you were little. It's amazing that you've been able to navigate your life. Do you think that sometimes? I will tell you this, and this I is, and, uh, this, by that. this might come out uh, no, in, in the thing of the book. I, when, as a young man, yeah, my parents divorced a lot. I came across good people. Yeah. Good people, yeah. you know, sometimes they were teachers. Sometimes they were the parents of friends. Sometimes they were, you know, the staff of apartment buildings or stuff like that. I came across people that gave me a, 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 a fair shake. I also came across some malevolent folks every now and again, yeah. but, uh, you know, you, cool, you wise right? up and you, you learn how there's nothing wrong with uh, beating a hasty retreat. Where did your fascination with typewriters start and come from? And do you have a personal favorite in your collection? Well, I you yeah, have yeah. like 150. Yeah, there's, I got a lot of typewriters. Some of, them are, some of them are gorgeous, and some of them I want to throw out the window. But where'd the fascination come from? Um, just, I know you like history. Did it come from no, I, uh, I, papers, I, writing papers? I think I came out with I liked the graphic look of it. And I, oh, and I also think it's because when I, you know, when you have to write a, 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 a paper in college, I did find 
that I could type as fast as I thought. I could not do that with handwriting. I, I was always behind the curve, and I never felt as though writing with a pencil or a pen was as fluid as it was with writing a typewriter, with a typewriter. Um, what's your idea of a good read? A good read? A good read. A, uh, a good read is, uh, as, as best as can be, is uh, nonfiction entertainment. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Means it happened, or it happened like this, or it is, you know, like, like uh, the first, uh, I think when, the, when I was first started reading, I read books by Arthur Haley. Who wrote Airport, Airport. and Hotel? Yes. Yes. And uh, then I would read uh, Leon Uris, um, yeah. uh, Exodus, or Mila 18, or Armageddon, these yeah. kind of like long historical fiction, or is there another name for that? Uh, oh, uh, fictional history, or something like that. I didn't, I remember reading the, uh, the Hobbit and thinking, oh, that's a lot of fun. And starting the next one, what is the next one? Lord of the Rings or yeah. whatever. I got about 40 pages into it. I said, yeah, 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 Frodo, Frodo, Frodo. And I never, bother, <laughs> I never bothered with it again. But um, that, that, when you can get into, um, uh, it doesn't have to be you know, current events. If you can get into anything that is set in a, in, and is historically accurate, uh, along with just, I read nonfiction more than anything else, but then how do you explain like Lincoln and the Bardo, you know? Yeah. But you, you can look at that and say, well, that in a lot of ways, that, is, that too is a brand of historical fiction because those people, the ghosts that are in that had been alive and the sadness that uh, Lincoln felt was, was on display in that book. So even, even that is something that you can latch on to as saying it must have been like, like must that. have been like that. Do you have a good book that you would recommend to our president? I think he needs a good read, a good book that would help us. Everybody is supplying their own punchline to that. <laughs> um. Do you have a desire to write your own novel, Tom? Um, now that you've done this, do you now want to write your own novel? Well, uh, the, the desire is something different than the plan. The plan, okay. You know, the des I mean, I, I, I have a, I have a de desire to fly like Superman. Um, <laughs> that, uh, not necessarily going, going to happen. But, um, you know, because a lot of times the question is, why do this? Why write a thing? You know, you know why did, do it at all? Yeah, why did you do it in the first place? Yes. And I think that that the, anybody the who creates for a living or anybody has you know, who does what they do and, and, and wants to do a better, it all comes down to a fire in the belly, you know? Yeah. And I think I have a fire in the belly, whether, uh, you know, whether that, that can be turned into something that'll, that'll keep you warm or not is a different, uh, different subject. And my last question, what's the one thing you want that you don't have? Wow. <laughs> wow. I have an Speaking answer. Speaking to the microphone. I have an answer. You do? Yeah, sure. Oh, what? More time. Ah. That's Isn't good. That, that it? More time. That's good. You know what? Uh, I, yeah, I make this joke. It's like, you know, you want to get out of something, like you don't want to do something. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I, 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 why? So, why? Why don't you want to do it? Hey, because, hey, man, I'm, in the, I'm on the back nine, man, you know. I know. I'm on the 14th hole or something like you that. You don't feel that. Don't you well, I'm, feel? Si I'm 62 years old. And it's not just. I'm a, 63, but right. I still but it's, feel. It's not just that. It's also. We could live another 20 years, easy. <laughs> easy, we could, Tom. Why are you shortchanging me, Gay? Touche. But isn't that what it comes down to? Yeah, and it's yeah. not just not just about stuff that you want to do. It's just stuff the stuff that you want to experience. You know. Yeah. So, um, you know, here we are, the leaves are finally changing. Uh, are we in the autumn of our years? Autumn in New York. <laughs> don't you wish these warm days would just stretch out a little bit I do. more? I do. But then again, don't you kind of look forward to that first frost in the air? I do. And then don't you think like, well, summer's coming up. I want to I I bake again. And then just as you start baking in June, July, aren't you thinking, Man, I can't wait for the leaves to change. <laughs> so you just always want that another trip around the racetrack. Oh, I hear you, Tom Hanks. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. 92Y Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Reconati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. You can
can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations at 92yondemand.org.